Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. What's that? Win the whole thing. Yeah. Yes! I figure it's going to take 32 more victories to win this thing. Every time we win, we peel a section. Yeah. Yeah. 0-2 to Alfaro. He struck him out. Eight strikeouts for Jacob deGrom. Masterful as always. And Alonzo cracks one deep toward the left field corner. And it's out of here! Pete Alonzo gets the down for Lugo, one more out to get, Garrett Cooper. And the curveball line to second, short hop by Guillaume, and the ball game is over. A six-out save for Seth Lugo, Mets sweep a doubleheader from the Marlins. Little looper, and Echeverria is there, side retire. 15 consecutive scoreless innings for Zach Wheeler. He's got eight in the books tonight and a 5-0 lead. Conforto drives one out to left. Back goes Ramirez at the wall. It's out of here! 101 for Conforto. A two-home run day for Michael Conforto in the Mets late 7-2. Oh, we're excited. You know, we're just going to keep playing. Uh, we're going to keep doing what we've been doing. You know, these are good teams, too, that we've been beating. Um, you know, there's no doubt about that. Everybody in this league is a good team. Um, but we're excited. I mean, uh, we need you guys to pack the house on Friday. are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's 
it deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. To left field. Floyd. And after running rough shot over the National League, the Mets have a title to show for it. 2006 National League East champions. Here's the payoff pitch from Familia to Fowler on the way. I thought you'd guys appreciate that clip. Not quite 32 wins, but close. So I'm channeling a little Lou Brown in Major League. I thought that was a fun little way to start the show. Of course, welcome to the program here on August 8th, 2019. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the Talking Mets podcast all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. We're going to have a fun podcast here. I'm coming to you on a Thursday off day today. Mets just came off a sweep. And look, uh, maybe I'm overdoing it with the intro and jumping in, because usually I do the podcast at the end of the week, but I just think what we saw over the last three days, uh, including a doubleheader, is uh, a great, not only a great sign, but I think it's a little bit more than just the Mets beating up on a bad team. Uh, we're going to let our hair down a little bit, no guests today. I have a pretty funny segment coming up later on, actually, uh, a friend of mine does uh funny phone calls, and they actually call the Mets ticket office, and I really wanted to share that with you, so we'll do a little bit of that later on, but uh, wanted to take you through the last four games, set you up for the National Series, and uh, and look, I, I, like I said, the over the last few days, you've you've seen the blueprint for winning for this team, and I think it's the blueprint that they had envisioned back in the offseason. It's a blueprint that, that got away from them, mainly because of the starting pitching early, but a lot because of the bullpen uh, as well. And and now that the starting pitching has settled, maybe there'll be a ripple effect where a bullpen that clearly has some issues will be able to navigate what really should be on most days except for the Stephen Matz day, and even he went uh, almost seven innings, almost seven innings. Uh, seven innings from your starter, two innings from the bullpen, six outs. If you can, uh, you know, the games where you have a bit of a big lead, you stay away from Lugo and Edwin Diaz. The games where you are tight, you go with Lugo. The question will be, will Mickey Calloway do Lugo an inning, Diaz an inning, or is he going to say, hey, look, I'm going to go Lugo and try to get the six-out save on those nights, try to navigate the eighth and give Diaz the ninth on the other nights? You know, what's the better equation? Is it less Diaz, more Lugo? Right now, it's easy. It's more Lugo. But I think in the long run, it would be really nice if, if Diaz can get himself back to where he, I know he could be. He's done it before, and we saw flashes of it earlier this year. Lugo and Diaz, eight and nine, is is virtually locked down as anything. And it's the way Lugo's pitching, I don't even think in his best season, maybe 2015 and, and, and for the most part 2016, but really maybe just 2015. Uh, I never saw Familia pitch as well as Lugo uh, has pitched. So uh, to me, uh, you've got the best of both worlds. And you really right now are channeling a lot of what we saw. And I think that's why everybody's so excited. You know, nothing made me happier than the other night to see the fans really after the doubleheader sweep get into it. And I know I'm talking like a fan in that sense. That's not what this show, this is not a fan show. It's never been. And and I hope you understand that. This is a show that's trying to give you as balanced of an opinion between the fan side and the media side as possible. That's been the, that's been the, the, the focus. But to see after all the nonsense and the garbage and the poor reporting and the trolling by the media and the frustrating situations that you just scratched your head and said, how can this be happening? Even even in the, the worst-case scenario, logic wasn't playing out. To see the fans enjoy that comeback in Game 2, again, another example of a game, I'm telling you, similar to the game like I talked about on the last podcast in Pittsburgh on uh, 
and I pop my pee over there. I know I've been getting some feedback on that, and I'm working on that. I know that there's a fix for that, so bear with me. But just like the 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 the, the Pittsburgh game on Saturday. The second game of the doubleheader on Monday is another example of a game earlier in the year. They wouldn't win. They would just not be able to score, not be able to to, to, to get enough after the, the, the game one win to work through it. But right now you have the blueprint in front of you. The blueprint is actually pretty simple. It's complicated because you have to have the starting pitching, and they've been able to uh, develop that, acquire that, and, and now they're starting to perform. That's the biggest part where you could get the seven strong innings. You need to be able to navigate six outs from your bullpen. Every team, for the most part, maybe the Yankees are the exception, uh, have to hold their breath a little bit with those bullpen outs, with those bullpen innings. And then you have an offense that now you have no Cano, and we'll get to that. We have no Cano. But it, it, there's no, there's, there's no uh, uh, Cano on the horizon. There's no hot streak on the horizon. There's no Hall of Fame run on the horizon from your second baseman. Uh, No Cano. And how does the offense score? Well, there's still enough here. And J.D. Davis, who I want to get to later, plays a lot into that. And, of course, Conforto going on a streak plays a lot into that. And then you know what Alonzo and McNeil can. But if you could even get your league average production out of Ramos and Frazier, which you're starting to get in overall the picture is starting to show that they're about league average offensively. You put up essentially one inning of a crooked number. You get your four, five runs. They're going to win those games. Provided that the pitching performs as it should, meaning the starters get you the seven innings. They give you the two runs, maybe the three runs. The bullpen could maybe on most nights, and they're going to blow games. Look, it's going to happen. At some point, it's going to happen again. And I don't care if they're playing the Pirates. I don't care if they're playing the Marlins. I don't care if they're playing the Nationals, the Phillies, the Cubs, the Dodgers. The Mets staff could shut down any offensive team that I've seen year to date. Some are going to be harder than others, but they can. And if you play close to the vest, games where you know 5-3, 4-3, 3-2, those are stressful. But the Mets are going to be able to win a lot of those games. And they've been losing a lot of those games all year. It hasn't been reported as such. But think about it. As you go back to April, you really haven't had a Mets team that's, which is very much unlike 17 and 18, where there was a lot of stretches where they were non-competitive, where once they got down 3 4 nothing, you could turn off the television. That's not this team. So I think what you saw the last few days is important, not because you want to make more out of beating a horrible Marlins team. But because this year, this team has not shown any ability, no matter what the level of competition has been up to this point, to be able to go on this kind of sustained streak and deal with any kind of prosperity. Even if they won one or two in a row, they'd always maybe not sweep or they'd have a horrible gut-wrenching loss. And maybe at the end of the day, this 13-1 run, which uh, is is pretty much the best run they've had since, well, a couple of years ago, they were 11-1. We know what happened after that. But then you go back to 1990 when they had like a 16-1 and run, and I remember that very vividly because that's when Dave Magadan took over as the first baseman, had that huge year, nearly won the batting title. And, and that team, very similarly to this team, had very strong starting pitching. Yeah, they had Franco in the bullpen, but the bullpen bridge was a little bit shaky leading up to Franco, and Franco himself was a little shaky at times. And offensively, they were... Uh, filled with the Strawberries and the McReynolds and the Hojos and the Magadan and Jeffries. But if you look up and down offensively, uh, they were a very good offensive team for that time. You know, In some cases, better than an American League team. Uh, but you had some areas where there might be holes, like Elster and, and the catching situation when it wasn't Mackie Sasser and center field with uh, Daryl Boston or Keith Miller. Those are you know, Boston was a nice hitter, but you know not elite. So there's some similarities, too, when you think back to that team that was built on starting pitching. And if you really want to go to recent history, you're starting to feel, and I hate to channel any kind of history because Mets fans love to do it so often, but you want to channel 2015 because you're starting to feel that. And you heard uh, some of the comments by Michael Conforto. You'll hear some more comments by uh, Pete Alonzo and Mickey Calloway later in the program. They're not overestimating themselves. They're just going out there. 
They're taking care of business. They're respecting the competition. Um, they're putting the past behind them and moving forward. And they really believe they're good enough to win. And I, re- I heard Jeff McNeil. One of the things that everybody keeps saying about Jeff McNeil, why Jeff McNeil, and he's, he's really a, a synopsis of what you're seeing with this club, why Jeff McNeil is so good is because no matter where he plays on the field and when he gets up at the plate, he just says, I belong and I'm good and I, I'm elite at what I do. And maybe the skills and all the logic in front of everybody says, well, that guy shouldn't be hitting 340. That guy shouldn't be able to play uh, very well three or four positions. But he's saying to himself, I don't care what you say. I know I could play it. And a lot of times, as goofy as that sounds, that's half or more than the battle. So I said to enjoy this. You basically heard Conforto begging you guys, get out to the ballpark, get excited, start to add that 10th man that when the the ballpark's been packed, you know City Field can uh, can uh, you know yield that kind of uh, return. You 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 know that they can it can be the kind of place that could be a difficult home field. It's been a difficult uh, home field for the competition to come in, and uh, this is a big series because Mets are right there. It none of the stuff that's happened up to this point matters right now. It does not matter because they're in the thick of it. The blown the blown leads. Uh, Callaway nonsense, the Brody nonsense, the media nonsense, it doesn't matter. Now it's about baseball. It's about the wild card. And buckle up because there's a lot to go. Uh, a, lot of ball, a, lot of, a lot of games left, a lot of drama, a lot of storylines to unfold. And I think it's going to take 90 wins, and we're going to see in a little bit if the Mets could get to that. There is some opportunities out there, and when we come back, can the Mets, with the new waiver rules, add some much-needed depth and maybe even take a page out of the Yankees book. I'll explain a little bit more right after this. Here's one up the middle. Panic, what a play. Gets one and safe at first. Unbelievable diving play by Joe Panic to take a hit away and almost get two. We're back to talk about podcast here on this uh, August 8th, getting ready for the National Series after a big four-game sweep of the Marlins, an off day, chance for the team to rest, the fans to rest, and then a real run, a 47-game run begins. And I uh, had the Lou Brown clip, and I know he said 32 wins, and I said not quite. You'll hear in a little bit kind of my Mets math. That's the theme of the show, Mets math later on, so you hear my Mets math. But right now... Uh, we get into the roster because I know there's we didn't dive deep into the Cano injury. There's not much to say that Cano tears a hamstring unless he's a miracle healer. He's out for the rest of the year. I don't even see him. Even if the Mets made the NLCS, maybe if they played into middle of October, maybe at that point he might be available. It's going to be so tough. I mean, simulated games, time off. It's not like you'd hit in the cage. I mean, it's 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 you're basically resting. That's it. So there's a lot of issues there. So let's let's just say Cano's gone for the year. I don't think that's a, a going out on a limb. Now you're living with a situation at second base, which is either Jeff McNeil and then a Lagaris in the outfield, and and maybe eventually Dom Smith comes back, and and that helps you. Or you play Guillaume, who's good defensively. A little bit too much uh, uh, mustard on the hot dog, maybe, with that double play the other night, and he missed second base. And you have Echeverria, who's a very good defensive player. But both are just... And Guillaume's the one I thought may have been a more of a contact and a guy that could hit you 280 in the big leagues, get on base, take pitches, which he's done a lot in the minor leagues. But he just he's not showing that. He, he's showing that he's truly a 4A hitter. He can play defense at the big league level, but he's a 4A hitter. Anytime he comes up here, he can't hit the side of a barn. And we know Echeverria hasn't been able to hit in his career. He's a guy that'll get hot, maybe pop some home runs, show you some power. But he's a very bad hitter. So you've basically got the pitchers. Who, this year, the pitchers might be better than the eighth spot. And they haven't really – it's always been the, the pitcher batting ninth. For a while there, they were doing that pitcher hitting eighth or whatever, and they don't do that anymore, which – I never understood the pitcher hitting eighth. I never really quite got it. I don't understand why that was a thing, and it's becoming less of a thing for the most part. But So you look at the roster, and with the July 31st deadline now being a hard deadline, and I've always said, and I'm not the only one, I've, I've been saying this for maybe 10 years, but 
with two wild cards, it never made sense to have the deadline the 31st. Now, they had the waiver deadline, which this day and age with salaries, it was it was still possible to get through waivers and make a deal. You saw that with Justin Verlander a couple of years ago. Mets got Addison Reed during the 2015 run. Uh, you could make deals in August. Now, that's gone. The only kind of deals you can make are minor league deals. But I think that you're going to see a wave of of uh, veterans getting designated for assignment, maybe because they're going to say, hey, I'm in a losing situation. I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. Release me. Um, I don't know how many teams are going to want to help veterans along the way. But it does, if, if you do work with some of these guys, agents remember that, players remember that, and it may come back to you in another way. But the point being, first... They really need to consider, I am okay with the hard deadline, but you got to move it back two weeks. Because right now, you're starting to see separation in the wild card where maybe the Giants uh, are starting to, th- maybe they, if the deadline was August 15th, they may rethink a lot of things. They they, they, they did a hybrid buy-sell. Uh, Arizona, which is the same situation, they're pretty much doing a hybrid buy-sell. They're not even doing a buy, they're doing a sell. They've never really, even though they're a game behind the Mets, they've never believed that they're in a race. They're taking the more modern uh, organization-building approach to baseball, which means you don't really compete and win unless you're the top two or three teams in baseball. I'm not going to get into that. We've talked about that ad nauseum. But if you had the deadline the 15th, situation where Cano gets hurt, allows the Mets to go out, maybe acquire somebody, uh, you know, it also may give you some time to to see the landscape and see what kind of needs you have because baseball is such a long season that you're you're thinking, do I give this reliever some time to figure it out? Or maybe you you have a slumping reliever, and at the deadline you acquire someone. And and so many times when you acquire players, the upheaval in their life, going from one team to another, maybe from a bad situation to a good, it could have multiple different impacts. It could have a very good impact, and I mentioned before the break, the the Yankee playbook, which I'll, I'll explain. Or it could have a separate impact where I always remember Eric Gagne, who went from Texas to Boston, top reliever, thought it would be a game changer in 2007, and he was awful with the Red Sox. It was almost like he forgot how to pitch. So uh, you could have a lot of that. But I think they should move it to the 15th because of the second wild card because so many more teams mathematically can still be considered in it at the 31st, and that will promote competition. Maybe it'll let teams think a little bit. Maybe I could compete because by August 15th, if you're in it, there's really no reason to not push the final six weeks. It'd be absurd. So anyway, how do the Mets improve this club knowing what the rules are? Because it's going to be hard. You know, Strubel Cabrera got designated for assignment. He went to the Nationals. I thought that was a guy they could potentially look at. Now Joe Panic, former Giants second baseman, local guy, St. John's guy, John Jay High School. Everything about him profile-wise fits what the Mets want. Now, well, the He's been released, so they don't want to make any claims and, and take on any salary. You don't want that. That's not going to be something that the Mets are going to be interested in. Uh, but is that the kind of guy that the Mets could go out and maybe sign? Now, the one problem, and I talked about this briefly the other day, the one problem you have right now is that the 40-man roster is stacked, and there are already guys on the 60-day DL. So when you want to bring somebody in, like a Joe Panic or a reliever, you got to do one of two things. One, you got to figure out who you're going to put on the 60-day DL. And I don't think right now they want to do Cano just yet because once he's on the 60, he's out 60. Uh, Brandon Nimmo could be put on there, but if he's actually close, and I don't think he is, but if he's actually close to some kind of September um, situation where he's going to get uh, some playing time, you're going to have to put him back on the 40-man, and then you have to dump somebody else. So is that worth it? And it's possible that that makes sense because then you have the other option where you take a Brooks Pounders or a Tim Peterson and you say, look, I'll designate you. You may lose those arms, uh, which depending on who you talk to, maybe that's not a bad thing. But at this time of the year, do you want to lose reliever depth? Uh, that's a good question. And, and Pounder seems to be similar to uh, Donnie Hart, who was just uh, brought on. These are no name, and I'm assuming that these are analytics Based moves that whatever the Mets homebrewed analytics department queries that they're running are saying these guys might be undervalued and might be an asset that could that could contribute. So we don't know, uh, but we've seen the Mets already do that with Donnie Hart. Uh, 
that's that's where the the real problem lies because you don't know who, who they value on this roster and and I certainly think they would make a move for a panic and why you look at Joe Panic and you're like well he hasn't hit for a couple of years below league hitter the Giants who are not exactly an offensive powerhouse and that they brought Scooter Gannett in and he's a much better hitter uh, why would you want this guy that was cast off by the Giants well I'll say this I was reading up on Panic and it's true he hasn't hit in quite a while. But he still seems to be very good defensively. And I'm not going to get crazy over UZR defensive numbers on fan graphs because I'm starting to look at certain guys' numbers, and I, I look at them defensively like Todd Frazier. And I say to myself, is Todd Frazier, and I understand sample sizes sometimes are going to play into this, uh, in the same category defensively as J.D. Davis at third? Because UZR has him not too far off, at least the other day they did. And we, you and I know that he's not. Um, so, so why do I take it this seriously? But look, Panic's a guy who won a gold glove. He's got some very good, and this is where analytics could be very helpful. He's got some really good contact numbers, so he's still making contact. Uh, he usually is a guy that works counts, and they could use that. And I think most importantly, and this is where the Yankee component comes into play, he's got playoff experience. Uh, he's played in big games. He's played on championship teams. And if you think about the Yankees, the Yankees have been really good over the course of the last 20 to 25 years in bringing veterans or even no-names into the fold at various points of the season, usually late. And all of a sudden, these guys play so above and beyond what they were before that you just you know, you know just don't understand it. Greg Holland last year with the Nats uh, changes scenery all of a sudden uh, did that to him. Think about Jose Vizcaino. Aaron Small, Shane Spencer, that was a call-up. Sean Chacon. I mean, Glenn Allen Hill comes over from the Cubs, and all of a sudden he's Babe Ruth. Kerry Wood, uh, and again, Kerry Wood had a history of pitching well, but coming out of the bullpen, Yankees acquired him uh, down the stretch at one point, and all of a sudden he's unhittable out of the bullpen. The Yankees were really good at doing that. Now, it got absurd to the point where you see them bringing guys like Vernon Wells later on, and just because they put pinstripes on, they'd be considered, well, you know, resurrected, they started to talk a little bit about Troy Tulowitzki in that sense earlier this year, and, and he's since retired. But can the Mets find that in a Joe Panic? Would Joe Panic come home? Sometimes your career now, and he's a young guy, he's youngish, he's not a guy that really should be, uh, it's not like he should be retiring, but now you've, you're in a game that is very cruel, values prospects, values cost-controlled young players, and when your numbers are such offensively where you don't hit home runs, uh, you're struggling to to even be league average, uh, the league might start to turn their back on you. So you really got to kick it into gear, and maybe that spark in coming home, even if it's just for six weeks, even if the Mets catch lightning in a bottle for six weeks, that might help. So I think this is the, the, the kind of guy they should target, and I would be totally for panic. Now you're saying, oh, Mike, Robbie Cano, how are they going to – you know, score with uh, you know, with Robbie Cano out. Well, it's first of all the Mets, even with Robbie Cano out, are still about a league average offense. And this team is built on pitching, 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 and starting pitching. So we're not expecting them to be uh, the Colorado Rockies circa 1998-1999. We don't expect that. Also, let's not get crazy about Cano. Yes, he was nine for his last 15, I believe, leading into the uh, Sunday afternoon uh, double that tore his hamstring, so he was getting hot, real hot, and I believe that he would have had a streak for a couple of weeks, maybe more, maybe for the rest of the year, that would have been a reminder to everybody about why the Mets got him and why he's potentially a Hall of Famer, but if you look at the numbers objectively for the whole year, look at Joe Panic's numbers, Robinson Cano has been in that 660 to 680 OPS, very much significantly below league average. A lot of four threes. His range, we all knew what his age, his range might not be there. Uh, his arm on the double plays hasn't exactly been stellar. He's been bailed out by Pete Alonso a couple of times. So is Joe Panic in the version of Robbie Cano, which you've seen for maybe 95% or more of this year, is Joe Panic any worse? I'm going to tell you he's not. Now, you may say, and this is where I've been debating it, and I've seen some debate on Twitter about it, well, Ruben Tejada is tearing it up down in AAA. Dilson Herrera is tearing it up down in AAA. There's all, those are options, and you could certainly add those guys to the 40-man. Remember, we go back to Guillerme and the 4A player. Are they 4A players, or are they guys that maybe Tejada's figured something out? Because he's never even in the minor league level hit for power 
and for average. I mean, he's got an OPS over 900 uh, down in Syracuse. I mean, that's just not Ruben Tejada. No point in his minor league career was that Ruben Tejada. Has he figured something out? Is he a Justin Turner uh, uh, renaissance? I mean, you got to trust the Mets and their scouts and their analytics department and Brody and all these advisors he brought in. I mean, he's got more people that he could go to for feedback than maybe any other GM in baseball. So at this point, you and I can look at numbers. That's all we can look at. And we could have this show and we could have some fun and we can talk about it. But really, these guys have information and knowledge and 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 perspective that we don't. So I believe they're going to make a move. Uh, is it Joe Panic? I think everything that I told you about the guy makes sense versus Herrera versus Tejada. Herrera and Tejada are numbers guys, guys that are showing you numbers in the minor leagues. Herrera is interesting because he's still very young, 24 years old. So it, it would be foolish to give give up on him. And I and I believe it would be smart at some point in September to find a way if you could call him up. And I think the fact that he came back to the Mets organization after opting out in July means that there's a possibility that they he already knows that that's going to happen because why would he come back? Uh, he didn't know Robbie Cano was going to tear his hamstring. So uh, I'm going to trust that the things that panic brings, like playoff experience, gold glove defense, a contact and a veteran, a mature approach at the plate uh, versus uh, some guys who have, to date, Tahad has been, even when he was a starter, was you know league average hitter at best. I mean, you know, out of the out of those two guys, Tahad has actually got a resume. Herrera has not. I'm gonna go with the the battle tested veteran in Panic, who's coming home and may get invigorated, and he could be the Mets version of Jose Vizcaino or Aaron Small, or Sean Chacon, or Glenn Allen Hill, Shane Spencer, whatever it may be. You get where I'm going. Yankees always seem to get those guys. And I think it's time for the Mets to find their, I call it the Yankees bump. When you put the pinstripes on and you've had a lousy season, the pinstripes all of a sudden allow you that that energy to give you that extra juice that maybe gets you to be a player that you may have been at one point and are no longer a player that you never were, for a short period of time, and it could certainly be a big thing now in post-July uh, 31st world where you can't make any deals in uh, MLB in 2019. All right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Mets math. What will it take to win the wild card and guarantee the Mets will be playing at least one game in October? We heard Lou Brown back in Major League, 32 wins. It's not quite 32 wins for the Mets, but it's not that far off. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have such a uh, such a talented group, and uh, now we're gelling and, and clicking and playing really well, and we're uh, just trying to make something special happen. I mean, uh, we still have a lot of baseball left. I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's I know it's getting down to the nitty gritty, but there's still a lot of games left, and um, I mean, there's there's time to uh, to create something special here. You have a day off tomorrow. You have any message for the fans coming out here on Friday night? Oh man, let's make this place electric. Yeah, I know. I mean, you guys have talked about it. How the competition level takes a step up now starting on Friday. That being said, to go on a 13-1 and run against any major league team, just how challenging realistically is something like that to be this consistent? Yeah, yeah. It, they're still major league teams, and they still beat guys, and, and, and what we've done is not easy, um, but it's in the past. We have uh, our, our focus on the next game. We're going to have a good off day and then uh, come in ready to, to play the, the Nationals, and uh, if we keep on playing the way we've been playing, we're going to continue to do uh, good things. All right, we're back. You know, one other thing before I get to this Mets math here is the Mets really, at some point, it would be huge for them to be able to get one of their relievers and their organization to actually give them a, a boost. Like, I, I hate to again go to the Yankees, but how the Yankees got Jobber Chamberlain, and that was a historic. 24, 25 innings in 2007 that Jabba gave them, but how he came up and really they were having bullpen problems, how he was able to bridge the gap to Rivera in a big way. Can a a Blackham or Eric Hanhold or Riley Gilliam, uh, there's so many guys that they've tried to develop through the draft or through trades. Uh, Nobody seems to be stepping up. And, And right now I don't think 
Nagosek or uh, Raim, uh, any of these guys have shown any ability and it's to really have any impact outside of when you're down, maybe they could give you some innings. Maybe Walter Lockett, I know he's a starter, and they probably don't want to put him into a bullpen role right now because they may need him, God forbid, an injury, another doubleheader and all that. Maybe in a shorter spurt, Walter Lockett might be a better option because he's a guy that really profiles, in my opinion, that could maybe not get through a lineup more than twice. Uh, can one of the Mets relievers step up? I don't know. I mean, they haven't, and, and that's where it'd be even tough. I heard Brad Brock and Cody Allen. We had that on the mailbag the last uh, time. I know Greg Holland was just recently designated for assignment. All those guys come with issues, incredibly ugly walk rates. They, yeah, they could strike guys out. But, again, Greg Holland was horrible last year, and then the, he gets picked up by the Nats, and he's all of a sudden lights out down the stretch. Can that happen one of those three guys? I'll trust that. The Mets have done their homework. They know why these guys have struggled. And mind you, these guys are being dumped by teams, quote-unquote, in contention, except for the Angels. But Brock and Holland are teams that Mets are, you know, Cubs one and and obviously the, the Diamondbacks the other. Now, let's get to the Mets math. So this is a muck of a wild card. And normally I'd tell you, oh, well, you know, if only the Mets hadn't blown all those games. But they, things have been so hard for them. They've been so bad. Like, now it's fun that it's in the muck because the Mets are the ones creating the muck. But going into action on Thursday today, uh, they're a half game back of Milwaukee, who is a percentage point behind the Phillies. Mets are actually a half game back out of the second wild card. They're a game ahead of Arizona, uh, three games ahead of the Giants. So the Giants, there's some separation there with the Giants and the Reds and what have you. I personally think that St. Louis, not St. Louis, that Philadelphia will be the next team to take a dive in this wild card. I think Milwaukee and St. Louis will be hanging around. In the end, I think it'll be Washington, Milwaukee, St. Louis, the Mets. And I think the Phillies will go down and fall beneath the Mets level first, but I don't think they'll go away. But I, I'm looking at that team right now as the team that, out of all of those, that I'm hoping that could be lopped off. And then the other team after that would be interesting if the, the Cardinals or the Brewers, I think both those teams are good. And Hater, to me, is a difference maker in Milwaukee. We'll see if you need somebody to fall off where you get this down to two or three teams. And right now, it's too early to talk about that, uh, but you'd like to see that. Now, here's the problem with this wild card. It, it, it's hard to start scoreboard watching. You want to scoreboard watch. You want to start to root for and against different teams. It's hard because if the Brewers win and the Cardinals, unless they're playing each other, the Cardinals win or the Cardinals lose, like, is always going to be somebody that's probably going to win. And that why, that's why with the whole jumping over teams was such a big thing three weeks ago, this historic streak of 13-1 and one that the Mets have gone on, uh, it's, it's eliminated a lot of variables that went against them and made you not believe that there was anything to really watch with this wild card race. So I look at it this way. The only thing the Mets could control day in and day out is themselves. And they could control themselves by winning. And I said to myself, and that's why I channeled the whole Lou Brown and Major League to, to get off to a, a fun start on the show. What exactly at 59 and 56 is realistic, number one? And number two, what would guarantee, in my opinion, that if they hit that, that, that win total, I would put a lot of money down, 99.9% that they'll be a playoff team. And I believe the number is 90 now, it might be a little lower, but I think 90 guarantees that we'll be talking about some October baseball. What does that mean? Well, the Mets got to go 31-16 and 16 the rest of the way. They've got 29 home games and 18 games on the road. Uh, that would be 19-10 and 10 at home and 12-6 and 6 on the road. I think the 12-6 and 6 on the road is a bit of a push, so they may need to be a little bit better at home. Now, remember, uh, the Mets, uh, with their schedule, have some tough teams they're playing coming up. They've got the Dodgers in September. They've got to go to Colorado. They've got the Cubs. They've got the Indians. So this isn't going to come easy. But really, if you go, let's take, let's say if they could go 20-9 and nine at home, which is really good, even better than what they've played the clip to date, that gives you a little bit of, at 11-7 and seven on, the, on the road, that gives you the ability to only have to go 4-2 and two on one six-game road stretch and then just do the usual 3-3, three and three, 500 on the road. But it puts a lot of pressure on this team to play at a high level with some of the 
elite teams that they're going to be facing throughout the the uh, throughout the rest of the season. So I'm you know I'm looking right now real quick uh, for here for the Mets. Let's see here. Uh, you know, Indians, Braves, Cubs, nine game homestand. You know, you got to go something like six and three on a homestand like that. Uh, seven and two. Then you have a six gamer. Now the one that's coming up is the Braves and the Royals after this three game set with the Nats. Uh, that's one where you know maybe that's a three and three one. Now the Braves are struggling a little bit. They you know their pitching is starting to crack a little bit. Uh, the Royals are a bad team, but see Kansas City's a trap series. That's the kind of team that you get in there, and all of a sudden they're jazzed up. They play well for a couple of games. So not what you thought maybe would have happened in Pittsburgh. So, and then you got a Phillies Nationals road trip right around Labor Day. Then they come home to play the Phillies, the D-backs, the Dodgers. And then they go to Colorado, Cincinnati, late September. That's their last road trip. That's a horrible, the Colorado series, that's a that's a thorn in your side series. And then here's what's interesting. They end the season on a seven-game homestand with Miami and Atlanta. And, I mean, think about Miami, another four-game set, uh, looking to go home. A lot of young players, they may even have some other guys they called up at that point that uh, are looking to make a name for themselves. That's like 2007, 2008 all over again. Could the Marlins again? I mean, every time they've had to play the Marlins in a big series down the stretch when there's a playoff spot on the line, the Marlins have been a thorn in their side. Will they be a thorn in the side again? But the point is Mets math. Similar to Lou Brown, maybe you get like a little, you know, we, I don't know if it's, I know there's some some G, JPEGs going around the internet with the, the poster or like, you know, in, in Major League where they were ripping the the pieces off of the uh, the owner's clothing throughout that that segment. There was a, a JPEG floating around on the internet where they took maybe a Photoshop of a beat writer's head that's been critical of the Mets. I'll remain nameless of that beat writer. You could figure it out. And they put him, Photoshopped his head on the picture of the owner of in Major League, her body, and they were, you know, making a joke about ripping the, the pieces off to... Uh, signify another Mets win. So it's pretty funny anyway, and, and, and I think that that's something that you may see a little bit more of, especially because of the fact that the media has been so brutally one-sided against the Mets. But, you know, be that as it may, that the Mets are here. Mets math. They need a 31-16 and 16 record, 90 wins. I do think that's doable. It's tough. I think 29-18 and 18 is very achievable. That puts them at 88. I don't know if that's... Uh, if that's going to get it done, uh, that'll be a good, you know, and then if you go 28, uh, so you got 20, you got uh, 31, 16, 28, 19, 27 and 20, which I think is very achievable. That puts you at 87. Unfortunately, I just don't know. I don't know if St. Louis, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, all three of those teams will play at that level. That won't get you the first wild card. That'll get you potentially the second wild card. I do not think, I think the first wild card is 90. Bar none. I think you got to go 90. Uh, and I think the Nats, uh, because in, and if Scherzer doesn't come back, I could change my opinion. But even with Strasburg and Corbin, they still have enough pitching, and, and they seem to have an offense that is pesky. Even early in the year, uh, when they had all their injuries, their offense was pesky. Yes, they have a, a bullpen issue, uh, but everybody does. So who knows? These relievers, I just don't know how they're going to perform. And they have a decent closer, so it's not like the closer's an issue. I just don't know how these relievers are going to perform. Look, uh, Familia is starting to look better again. And, and who would have thought that just even a week ago? But 31 wins, that's the, the number. And I'll leave you with this on this segment. The, the only thing the Mets can do is control themselves and control them winning. So to me, uh, that's what they should focus on. And every night, forget about the scoreboard right now. Just go out there and win the game. And as you heard Pete Alonso, they believe they can do it. Mickey's talking about putting the success that they've done in the past. And uh, play for today. Focus on today. Don't focus on the Colorado trip in September. Or, oh, my God, we got to win four out of six. We lost the first on the trip. Now we got to win uh, four out of five. Forget about that. Just play today. Win today. That's the way this goes. That's what the 2015 did. team did. And it, it, it worked out pretty well. And all of a sudden, a team that was about 500 finished with, uh, with 90 wins and, and made the World Series. We're going to take a break, quick break. When we return, J.D. Davis. Could J.D. Davis be a burgeoning star? And think about how silly it was for us to worry about the return that the Mets gave up. This guy could be an elite core offensive player. And does he have a position? We'll examine J.D. Davis and his resurgence and the importance he is to the Mets offense right after this. 
And he launches one to deep left field. Forget that. That is way, way out of here. That is an enormous home run from J.D. Davis. The Mets have homered twice in the opening inning, and it's 3-0 New York. We're back, talking about this podcast here on this August 8th, and uh, we'll get to one other thing before I want to wrap up and let our hair down a little bit and give you some kind of humor to get you on to this off day and get you ready for this big weekend series against the Nationals. So J.D. Davis was acquired this offseason, and it was an intriguing acquisition because of his minor league numbers, showed hit for high average, power, on base, everything that you'd want in an elite offensive player. Wasn't really sure if there was a position for him. I actually thought he was maybe a hedge for Alonzo at first because he had some first base experience. Uh, When Frazier got hurt, he played third earlier in the year, and and although I think he, he wasn't horrible with the range, uh, his uh, his little hitch there with the tap was a big problem at third base. I mean, to the point where I, I just can't, and, and on a team where at that time Rosario wasn't nearly as as average fielder as he is now. Although he's maybe I shouldn't call it just average. But he's getting to the point where maybe he's average. Let's let's that's fair enough. I'm not going to get too deep into that. Uh, it was a big problem having J.D. Davis at third, and when Frazier came back, you saw the difference and. We all know J.D. is is a better hitter than Frazier, but you've got to balance it out. And I think that's important, thinking about the Mets' offense right now and and the concerns that many have with Cano out. You want to make sure that you understand that you have the defensive component. The other night when Wheeler had, what was it, 14 or 15 ground balls, the defense on the infield between Echeverry and, and Guillaume, with the exception of that one double play where he didn't step on the, the, the bag at second and almost cost them a big inning. Fortunately, the Marlins didn't score. That, uh, that, that infield was great, and that's probably one of the reasons why it wasn't a problem for Wheeler to have 14 or 15 ground ball outs in that ball game. And now that Rosario has settled a little bit and seems to be playing more confidently and making... Not only the routine plays, but he's making some really tough plays on the run and even making some plays up the middle. I know Gary Distracina talked to Tim Britton of The Athletic and talked about how much work they've put in and that Ahmed is trying to put in that work. Uh, the, Mets, uh, the Mets defense isn't all that bad. So that's why when you throw a J.D. Davis in the outfield and you look at J.D. Davis in a lineup that you have McNeil and you have Conforto, two of your bigger hitters that are lefty. You need that righty bat. And that was one of the problems with Dom Smith when he was playing every day and left. Even though he was hitting, it was adding another lefty into this lineup where now a team with a tough lefty late could really neutralize the Mets. And and, and let's face it, Aaron Altair or Juan Lagares, and even Echeverria if he's coming off the bench, they're just not fearful pinch hitters that make you want to say, all right, I'll take the lefty out and bring in a righty. You're almost better going lefty and lefty. So now with J.D. Davis starting to play at a level where if you took his numbers and extrapolated that as a full-time player over the course of a season, you've got a 25-homer, 80-90 RBI guy, you know, maybe a guy who hits 280, 290. Not sure if he's a 300 hitter. I'd have to see him on a, a larger sample to, to, to decide that. But he certainly gives you quality at-bats. The, the book on him was that uh, heavy fastballs and, and good fastball pitchers he can't catch up to. He's a breaking ball hitter. He's improved on that. You saw that the other night with his home run against the Marlins. They got the rally started. And um, the one thing that's impressed me is anybody who's done a deep dive on J.D. Davis. I think Britton did one uh, earlier in the year. Uh, Chili Davis talked about it. I think it was Gelbs uh, during the SNY broadcast the other day talked about it is that he's a, a guy that does a lot of homework. He does homework on his opponent, on the pitcher. He puts a lot of work in the cage. And Chili Davis actually has been working on him just to, you know, don't overswing. And I think you're seeing that a lot with the entire team. And if you listen, whether it be Cano, Conforto, J.D., Frazier, a lot of them are crediting Chili Davis, who's been a much maligned hitting coach over the last 12 months because of the situation in Chicago and at times earlier in the year where Maybe some fans thought and some members of the media thought the Mets were going to slap hitting, going the other way. Uh, you know, Maybe Chili Davis has had such an incredibly good impact that we have to credit him a little bit for the J.D. Davis renaissance here. I mean, think about if this guy who's controllable for another six years, basically, he's had very little big league service time. 
If he can be a 25, 80, 90 guy, and I don't think he's a great outfielder, but I don't think he's a disaster, and maybe that work ethic that we talked about offensively, he can put into being a decent left fielder. You just added another core piece to Rosario, to Conforto, to Alonzo, to McNeil. That's a really nice thing to have on a team that has to make some decisions about the amount of payroll they want to dedicate to these pitchers that are becoming expensive. The other part about J.D. Davis that I laugh about is how they all freaked out the fans mainly. The fans and the analytics guys that are the, 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 the analytics guys also, you know, whether you go to – I'm not going to name them because I don't want – some of them do great work. But anytime there's a trade, they focus so much on the prospects that are given up. And one of these guys, Santana, was in the Dominican Summer League. I think he's hitting 220 uh, right now. I'm trying to find right now the uh, I got to find the actual uh, prospects, all their names. But I was looking at all the prospects they gave up. Yeah, here we go. Um, Luis Santana. And I'm not saying he won't ever turn out. He was 19 years old. But here's a guy that all oh, the Astros they got an undervalued asset. The Mets are going to regret giving up Santana. He's 19 years old uh, in Double A, hitting 228. And I guess look, 19 years old in Double A, that's young for that league. Maybe they're pushing him a little bit. But even in a low A earlier this year, he was hitting 267 with a 642 OPS. Uh, he hasn't had a home run all year. Uh, they gave up uh, some uh, Ross Aldorf. Ross Aldorf is a uh, an outfielder. He's hitting 223. Well, he's hitting 278 in high, and low A he was hitting 223. Uh, you worried about that guy? And uh, uh, I'm trying to find out where the third guy was. Yeah, Scott Manaya. Uh, Manaya is a, uh, a catcher and a designated hitter. Uh, he's in high A now, hitting 236. Got some pop with eight home runs. All right, he's 23 years old, though. He's in high A, 23 years old. That's that's a different story. That shows you that's that's probably an organizational filler guy. But what makes me laugh is there was more concern about that. Meanwhile, J.D. Davis could be a young, controllable guy right now that's that's hitting at an elite level piece for this team going forward in, in the near future. And and we were worried about guys that who knows where the if they're ever going to see anywhere near AAA, much less the big leagues. So it just makes me laugh about how how crazy the world is now and how I'm looking at a guy that could help the team now. And none of those prospects in my opinion, and I believe the Mets rightfully uh, thought the same way. None of those lottery tickets, I think, are going to come back to burn them. Can one of those scratch-off tickets uh, be a win for life? It could happen. The odds are that they're not. I mean, that's what you got to keep reminding yourself, but I thought that was ironic uh, about that. But uh, to me, uh, this is a guy that can be uh, an interesting piece. I want to see more of him, but he's key right now because in Cano's absence, you almost need J.D. Davis to provide you life to lengthen that lineup so that really right now second base is the only position outside of the pitcher where you have some concerns about offense. Because Juan Lagares right now defensively and offensively is a complete hole. A complete hole. He, he's 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 a guy that's going to be playing in the Atlantic League next year. I don't see him as a, as a viable option on a big league roster because he used to be elite defensively. He's not. And I don't know if anything's going to change right there with that. And, and we've waited so long. And, and he had one more shot here. He could have won a starting job, and he could have been a key piece, right-handed bat. Because of his defense, he might have had a better shot at playing than J.D. Davis. And then you move Conforto to the corner where he's better uh, and McNeil to the other corner. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like uh, Lagares, for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or he's just not going to get it together, just, just can't seem to play consistently. But I think a couple of things. J.D. Davis, guy to watch, big part of uh, the Mets playing well and winning over the next few weeks, and a guy to watch going forward. And Chili Davis maybe an unsung hero that if you go and you just go and listen to a lot of these hitters, even a Robbie Cano, they talk about he's not a swing doctor, and that's not what they necessarily want. They just want a guy that works with them on their strengths, motivates them, and helps them stay within themselves, and maybe adds a component that right now and in a game that's so focused on science Maybe we need to get a little bit more of that uh, that life coach component to what coaching is, which is the thing that you can't really quantify and maybe tout how Chili Davis is bringing some of that to the table. A guy who actually played baseball for a long time 
and was in a, a very good hitter. He might know a thing or two about hitting that the swing doctors don't know. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, we're going to have some fun. A uh, buddy of mine, Jeff Lax, I'll, I'll give you some uh, information about him, did a crank call to the Mets ticket office. It's all in good fun, but I think you'll enjoy it. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Because so far, Halloween's a bigger letdown than being a Mets fan. Opening day, and here's the first pitch, and the season's over. Thank you for calling the New York Mets ticket office at City Field. New York Mets, this is Lou. How may I help? Hello, uh, my name is Gomez. Uh, I'm a very big fan of team. I moved here in the 80s. I follow ever since, and I'm very excited about trade, and I wanted to call to ask about tickets. Sure, Gomer. Um, it's uh, Gomez, G-O-M-I-S. Gomez, okay, and may I grab your last name? Mushu, last letter is with you, but squiggle on top, M-O-O-S-H-U, with the little squiggle. All right. And Gomez, uh, talk to me about, you know, what kind of tickets you want, you know, season tickets or... You know, well, it depends. I have a few questions. I read this letter from Brody. Uh, have you seen it? The letter from Brody? Yep, I've seen it. Make me very... I never see something like this all years that I follow baseball, so it makes me very excited. Uh, he say thank Wasn't you. that exciting? Well, he say thank you to me. This makes me very happy. He says uh, thank you, the fans. I am a big fan. Also, I'm very excited because... When you get this player, Marcus Strawberry, I follow him in 80s. I'm very excited that he come back. Oh, yeah, totally. We're so excited, too. He's very good. Uh, I remember he hit many home runs back uh, when I was little boy and I just come here. Who hit the home runs? Strawberry, this player, he's a very good hitter. But nowadays, some reason yes. wants him... Pitch. Oh yeah, no, he's he's good. Marcus Strawberry. So I'm very excited about him. Also, it seems that team very committed to winning now and also next year. So this makes me want to buy many tickets. Oh yeah, no, and we'd uh, we'd love to have you here to to support. Uh, you mentioned that you were uh, this is your office number. What do you do for work? Well, this is not official. If I tell you, I get in much trouble. It is wink wink job. Okay. If Trump find out, he kicked me out of country totally, so I cannot. This is why I tell you not call me back here. Okay. Um, uh, all money I make illegal, so when I buy tickets must be cash, but I like I would like very much to buy a lot because of Brody. Okay. So how many I can buy, most possible? Uh, the most tickets possible? Well, so we have a few different plans, Gomez, but... Uh, Are, uh, that, you allow illegal people to come to game? You not check or anything like this? Uh, do you mean that you're, uh, you're an illegal immigrant? Well, I not admit anything on phone, but I just ask general question that if somebody not have documents, is this checked? I would say you're probably not allowed in the ballpark. What do you mean not allowed? You will send cops after me? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know how to answer that question. Yankees will let me in. I even go one time to Yankees game because my friend get free tickets. They do nothing to me. I watch whole game. Have Diet Coke, popcorn, even hot dog, and you say Mets will kick me out? I don't know. I I I, it's, I well, don't work uh, for our for our U.S. Uh, immigration uh, department. Well, you say um, probably not allowed because undocumented. This is not good policy. Is Brody there? I would like to speak to him directly. You'd like to speak to Brody, sir? Is this a prank call? No, maybe. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. Take care. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Not usually what we do on this show. We usually take things a lot more seriously on this show. But anyway. Uh, you can check out all of Jeff Lax's prank calls on Funny Freaking Calls, available on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and all major music outlets. You could also hear brand new pranks and listen to Jeff Coe's Talking Sports with John Friedman, Saturday nights at 10.30 on 770, WABC. i got to do like the, the old pig vomit on Howard Stern, WABC. That's not who I am. I'm very, you know, I have the, the, the more reserved talk show. I'm not sticky type of guy. I've never been a sticky type of guy. Uh, but I thought that was funny and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And just all disclosure, I'm not making any money on Jeff. I'm not trying to do a commercial here. 
I just thought it was funny. I, I, I heard one of his uh, ones, the Toronto Raptors office, after the Raptors won the championship in June, and I thought it was funny. It's funny stuff. So, And I know that he told me off air, he was like, listen, that's not even the best one maybe, but that's the one we felt we can air. And hopefully the Mets, and I feel bad for that guy, he probably from a sales perspective, a little sales tip, listen a little more and don't just yes people to death. Because you're so excited to get a sale, take a step back. I know you're excited. I know that uh, you wanted to close that deal, but you know sometimes you gotta like wait for the curveball. Because if you if you swing too early, you're gonna look like a fool in the batter's box. You might have been able to, from a, a process perspective, there, guy, uh, handle the sale a little bit better. But all seriousness, it's uh, it's all in fun. We're not trying to hurt anybody, and hopefully the Mets don't blacklist me because of that. You know, that's the last thing. I've been I've been fair to this organization. I've been more fair to this organization than most people. Uh, and you'll see a lot of people, I already see them, the media, jumping on the bandwagon a little bit. Uh, you'll see them jump on the bandwagon, although they've been really quiet. A lot of the, the guys who, who spend a lot of their time making jokes and criticizing and hating the manager, hating the GM, they've been awfully quiet. Some of them have even decided to go hang out on the Yankee beat, which is where they wanted to be. All along, uh, I, I, you guys who who are on Twitter know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to give them any more publicity than they deserve. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the crank call to wrap up, wrap up this uh, edition of the Talking Mets podcast on this off day here on August 8th. Big weekend series, like Alonzo said, like Conforto said, hopefully you guys that have the chance go out there and pack the house, have fun. Uh, support the team, and know that uh, exactly what we talked about a week ago. Forget about all the org building. Forget about all the stuff that happened. Forget about the media. Forget about the negativity. Forget about 2023. Just just go out there and have fun. Enjoy this. Let's see where this goes because this is exactly what we talked about in the offseason. This is why we do this podcast and why you guys watch the games. And uh, the Mets, despite all of that, are right there with everybody else and have six very meaningful weeks of baseball. Maybe not the position you we all thought they would be in or where they planned to be in. They wanted to be a lot better. But take it day by day and see where it goes. And we should have a lot of fun in the coming weeks. And I think we'll have a lot of fun on this podcast, which is a, is a real difference from the last couple of years where we were riding out the string and it was really hard doing this podcast in August and September the last couple of years. And I'm glad that and hopefully this continues, that we're not just counting the days down or speculating on whether Mickey will be fired or the next Mets manager is or complaining about some other fabricated media controversy. It's really nice to be talking about the players, talking about winning, and and seeing you guys get fired up. Nothing made me happier than to see you guys fired up on Twitter in an authentic way after the doubleheader sweep. And let's hope we see more of that this weekend as the Nationals come to town. Hey, we're out of time. I want to thank everybody for joining in here. Of course, you could check me out all the time at TalkinMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkinMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email with your comments at Mike Silva at TalkinMetsPodcast.com. Again, no G. Of course, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. And if you could leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, and hopefully it's five stars, it'd be greatly appreciated. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the weekend series against the Nationals. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast very soon. Be well, everybody.
Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.